0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most precious things in a family is true love. When there's true love, when a husband has true love for his wife, when the wife has true love for her husband, when parents have love for their own children and and, and children for their own parents and, and, and when children have love for each other as brothers and sisters, what a precious thing it is to be in such a family as that. How wonderful it is. How wonderful it is to belong to someone who loves you truly. You know, that's why it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful to be a Christian. You see, true Christians belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are his people. They are his sheep, the ones whom God, his Father, has, has given him. They are his own. And that's so wonderful because Jesus loves his own. He loves his own. You now, that should make us all want to be true Christians. That should make us all want to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should make us all who do belong to Him by grace through faith entrust ourselves and all of our lives and all of our circumstances and all of our struggles more and more entirely to Him. And yet, don't we have to confess how often it doesn't? How often people hear God's call to them to trust in Jesus Christ and they turn away over and over and over again, unmoved, uncaring, uninterested. Perhaps it is true of of you. Or perhaps you have heeded God's call to believe in Christ, but you find yourself at times, maybe even this morning, struggling with doubts and fears maybe maybe there's difficult circumstances in your life or maybe maybe it's another reason but the reality is beloved that it's not natural it's not easy it's unnatural for us to entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ whether initially or or increasingly we need we need the spirit of god and we need we need his, his grace and the means of grace and, and how wonderful it is and that he, he gives us this text. John 13, verse 1. It's so good in light of our, our struggle to entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ to stop this morning, whatever our spiritual condition, whatever our life situation, to stop and to just meditate for a few moments on these amazing words. This verse, John 13 verse 1, is, is actually John's introduction to the second major section of his his gospel account. In chapters 1 to 12, John has, has been describing Christ's public ministry and how it ended. We, we read very sadly that it ended in John 12 with the people's general, in general, the people's rejection of him in spite of his many miracles. And now here then in, in John 13, Christ turns the focus of his ministry to his disciples and and that's really the main theme of chapters 13 to 21. And our text here, John 13, verse 1, stands in between these two great sections of the gospel of John. And it's really telling us that this is what the whole gospel is about. This is what the whole gospel is about. The Savior's love for His own. And it shines through. That love for His own begins to shine through all the more clearly in chapters 13 to 21. This whole section from his washing the disciples' feet to his dying on the cross to his restoring fallen Peter. The great thing that shines through it all is a love of Jesus for his own. So let's read this verse again. John 13 verse 1. This is what the Apostle John under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says. Now before the feast of the Passover, When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Congregation, what our text is is showing to us is not merely that the Savior Jesus Christ, God the Son made flesh, loves his own. But also and especially it's showing to us how great his Love for His own is. And it's calling us all to entrust ourselves entirely to Him. That's what we hope to see with God's help as we consider our text. Under the theme, the Savior's great love for His own. We'll see, first of all, that His love is so selfless. Secondly, it's so steadfast. And thirdly, it's so saving. The first thing then we learn about the Savior's love from our text is that it's so selfless. You know, true love is always selfless. You think of that great chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul writes about what love. He defines love. He describes love. Love does not seek its own interests, he says. And the first words of verse 1 here in our text reveal how selfless Christ's love for his own really is. There are two things that our text highlights. First, that it was before the feast of the Passover. And secondly, that Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father. Now, you read those details, and uh, we might be tempted to think of those details just as, as, as minor details, just kind of setting the scene. But, but you know, they're more than that. They, they reveal and they underscore the selflessness of Christ's love for His own. Because they tell, they tell us, that he was not out for his own interests. He was not out to please himself. He loved his own even in the midst of great danger to himself. You think of John's note that he loved, Jesus loved before the feast of the Passover. And if you read the chapters, chapters 11 and 12, you, you, you understand what, what that is really saying. Because Chapters 11 and 12 show that Jesus' life is in increasing danger. In John 11, as the Passover draws nigh, we're told that the Jewish leaders had plotted together to put Jesus to death. And they had even commanded, they had even made a command that anyone who knew where Jesus was had to inform the Jewish leaders so that they could seize him. It was so dangerous that Jesus actually had to leave Jerusalem. For a few days, but, but then in John twelve we read five days before the Passover, he, he goes back to Jerusalem astonishingly with his disciples and and we read there in the conclusion of of his public ministry, as he proclaims himself as he reveals himself and his glory and his grace. we read very sadly, as I mentioned, that most of the people reject him, according to john twelve verse thirty seven they refused to believe him in him in spite of the many miracles He had done. So so that's the context. It's before the feast of the Passover. And Jesus is experiencing rejection and hostility. His life is in danger. And yet what does He do at this very time in His life when His own life is in danger? What does our text say? Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And chapter 13 goes on to describe how Jesus, he, he showed that love by stooping in front of his disciples and washing their filthy feet. A job that was, wasn't even for a Jewish slave. Do you see with me how just this brief mention that it was before the feast of the Passover shows us something of the selflessness of the Savior's love? Think about it. Try, try to imagine yourself being in circumstances like Jesus Christ. Of course, we can't, we can't be in His shoes, but, but imagine circumstances like that. Imagine you were a wanted man. Imagine you, were, you had people that were wanting to kill you, unjustly so. What would you do? Wouldn't we by nature be more focused on, on saving our own skin, saving our own lives? But you see, that's, that's not what we see Jesus doing here. His love is so selfless. He doesn't run the other direction. He doesn't even, you know, go with His disciples and say, listen, this is, what, this is what the Jews want to do to me. And He doesn't complain to His disciples about the unjust treatment He's receiving. Instead, He loves. He even takes time to wash the disciples' feet. What a Savior. What a God. He loves his people when his own life is in danger. Not only that, he loves them knowing full well. He doesn't just love them, you know, knowing what might happen to him, what could happen to him. He loves them knowing what will happen. Jesus knew, our text says, that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus, as God, because he's God, knew that he was going back to glory. He was going home. He was going to be with his father. He knew that the hour of his departure had come. But he also knew, it also means that he knew, he knew what that departure would mean for him, what it would involve. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew the Jewish leaders would arrest him. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that his disciples would all abandon him. He knew of the false trial that he would undergo. He knew the injustice that he would experience. He knew the scourging that he would have to endure. He knew the thorny crown that they would push and press upon his head. He knew of the spitting that would happen to him. He knew of the beating and the mocking and the nails and the nakedness, the darkness, the thirst, the utter loneliness, the excruciating Death. All of that is included in Jesus knowing that his hour was come. That he should depart out of this world unto the Father. John 18 verse 4 tells us Jesus knew all things that should come upon him. He knew it all. Imagine knowing. Imagine knowing all that was about to happen you. How overwhelming that would be to us. How difficult it would be to love others. By nature we couldn't do it. By nature we can't even love others when the future is bright, when the future looks bright. Think about it. When did you last lose your temper at someone in your own family? When did you last fight with your spouse? Say an unkind word or give an unkind look. When did you last get impatient with your children? How hard, how impossible it is for us to love by nature left to ourselves. We would rather be loved than to love. We would rather be served than to serve. We would rather have our feet washed than to wash the feet of someone else. But now see, see the love of Jesus, knowing he's about to depart, knowing all that this, all, that, that will, all the suffering that, that will mean for him, with all that is coming to him on his mind. Jesus does not stop loving his own. Instead, he loves them, he spends time with them, he serves them, he teaches them, he warns them, he comforts and encourages them. Oh, how selflessly Jesus loves his own. What greater demonstration of that selflessness is the very suffering and death that he knew he was about to endure. That's why he came, you see. That's why He dwelt among us. That's why He suffered and died, because He loves His own. Yes, He came because His Father sent Him. But He didn't come unwillingly. He came willingly. He served willingly. He suffered and died willingly. being in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. Why? Because he loves his own. And when he knew he was about to be called to lay down his life for the sheep, his sheep, he didn't back down. He didn't change his mind. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. He offered Himself as the great sacrifice for sin, as the great Passover Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world because He loves His own. Do you see with me, congregation, do you see with me how selflessly the Savior's love, the Savior loves His own. Yes, He loved His own who were in the world even when He knew that He was soon Going out of this world. He was soon, he was soon going to get, get to go home. He, he would soon leave this world. He knew that he was soon, he was about to leave this world of sin and of misery and to return unto his father. But you know that prospect, the prospect of his coming home and being glorified with the glory which he had with the father before the world was. That prospect does not make him forget about his people. It does not make him abandon them. He does, he does not, and, And I I speak this reverently. Jesus does not daydream about the glory that he would soon be about to experience and forget everyone and everything else. to, To use an expression we sometimes use, he's not full of himself. The text says that when Jesus knew his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the And he threw open, as it were, all the floodgates of his life for his own. The Savior's love for his own is so selfless. What reason this should give you, dear believer? What reason this should give you to humbly praise and thank him? Without his selfless love, Where would you be? You would be lost. You would be without God and without hope in the world. But you're not if you're a believer here this morning. Why? Because of the Savior's great love for His own. That's why you are saved. It's because He loves you. And why does He love you? Is it because you are so lovable? Because you deserve it? No. You deserve God's wrath. Is it because you loved him first? No. By nature, we don't love God at all. Or his son. Is it because then maybe he needs you? No. He is complete in himself. Well, why does he love you then? I don't know it's a humbling mystery but what I do know is this the Savior's love for his own is so selfless and that gives every reason for believers to be full of humble thanksgiving to him but perhaps you're here and you're not a believer you're not saved what does the selfless love of Jesus for his own have to do with you well don't you see don't you see? It's why John wrote this. These words. It's why he wrote his whole gospel account. It calls you, Jesus, love for His own. Calls you. It encourages you to come to Christ to belong to Him through faith in Him. It calls us all, unbeliever and believer alike, to entrust ourselves entirely to the Savior to come to come and to put our trust under the shadow of His wings because His love is so, so selfless. It tells us, beloved, the selflessness of Jesus' love for His own tells us that He is most willing to save all, save all who believe in Him and to help them and to care for them, whatever their situation and all their needs, whatever circumstances they are in. Isn't that an encouragement, I say? Isn't that an encouragement? To entrust yourself, your whole self, your whole life over to Him. Yet if we're honest, we can often struggle with that, can't we? We struggle to rely on Him. We live, yes, even as Christians, we can sometimes live. We can sometimes struggle to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. We can struggle with all kinds of doubts and fears. that brings us to the second thing we see about the Savior's love for His own. From our text. It's not only so selfless. It's also so steadfast. Having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. It's one of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture. And it shows us, doesn't it? It shows us that the Savior's love for his own is so constant, so steadfast. It tells us, for one thing, how much the Savior's love for His own endures. Think about it. The text says that He loved His own who were in the world. Now, who, who are His own in this context? It's not the Jews as a whole. The Jews thought of themselves as, as God's people. In one sense, they were God's own people in that sense. But, but many of them rejected Jesus. And, and in John 8, Jesus showed, He, taught, he told them... they. They weren't really God's people at all. Their, their unbelief demonstrated that. So his own here in this context are not, not the Jews as a people, but in the context, his own here is referring to his believing disciples. All 11 of them. These were the ones who by grace through faith had received him and stuck with him. They hadn't reject him, rejected him. His own here are, are his, his believing disciples. And we know that because later in the chapter, when Jesus washes their feet, he, afterwards he, and he identifies Himself as their Lord and Master. And He speaks of Himself as having chosen them. They are the ones who are His own. They are the ones who Jesus loves. Now think with me. Okay, so it's the 11 disciples, specifically in this context. Now think with me about what these disciples were like. If you, just, if you just begin in the Gospel of John. In John 4, at the well in Samaria, they, they showed little to no understanding of Jesus' work. In John 6, they, they didn't think that Jesus could feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. In John 9, they portrayed a judgmental attitude toward a man who was, who was blind from birth. Who did sin, they said? Him, this man, or, or his parents? And from the other Gospels too, we know these were so often, they were so often proud, arguing about who would be the greatest. They disdained to wash each other's feet. And you think too of what Jesus knew they were about to do to him. Peter would deny him three times. The rest of them, all of them, would scatter at his arrest and leave him alone. Having loved these, he loved them to the end. Do you see how much the Savior's love for His own endures? These were not men who were easy to love. And yet He loved them. Do you think, dear congregation, that His love, the Savior's love for His own, is any different today? How much? How much? Think how much His love, dear believers has endured from you. Think how much opposition, how much unbelief, how much resistance his love endured before you turned to him by grace. Think how much sin it has endured since then. Think think how much sin this past week Jesus' love for you has endured. Do you see Do you see how great the Savior's love is for His own? I can't put it any better than J.C. Ryle. Listen to what he says, I quote. That He, Jesus, should bear with all their countless infirmities from grace to glory. Speaking of believers, speaking of Jesus' old. That he should bear with all their countless infirmities from grace to glory. That he should be never tired of their endless inconsistencies and petty provocations. That he should go on forgiving and forgetting incessantly. And never be provoked to cast them off and give them up. All this is marvelous indeed. No mother, he says, no mother watching over the waywardness of her The feeble baby in the days of its infancy has her patience so thoroughly tried as the patience of Christ is tried by Christians. Yet, he says, his long-suffering is infinite. His compassions are a well that is never exhausted. His love is a love that passes knowledge. how much the Savior's love for His own endures. Have you seen that in your own life, do you believe Oh, when you do, then Jesus' love becomes so amazing and so humbling to you. That you belong to Him in the first place is amazing enough. But that you still belong to Him, in spite of all your sins, in spite of all your shortcomings, that's overwhelmingly amazing. Then you know, then you know, you see, not just in your head. But deep in your heart, you know, as Scripture teaches, that, 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 that behind and in such enduring love is the free and sovereign love of God. It is not because you are quite something that God, that Jesus loves you and he still loves you. It's only because God in eternity, as the Scripture teaches, has sovereignly and unconditionally chosen to make you his. And that is truly humbling. And it's so encouraging, too. You see, such enduring love declares to us, beloved, that there is no one too sinful to be one of Jesus' own. You know, maybe, maybe you get stuck in this language that he loved his own. Maybe, maybe you think, well, does that mean that I have to first know that I'm one of the elect? that I am one of his own before I can come to him? Well, let me ask you, is that what the disciples did? Is that what the disciples did? No. Jesus called to them and they came to him. As they were, they received him. They believed in him. They followed him. You see, Jesus is a savior who calls sinners and delights to receive and save sinners, even the chief of sinners. He doesn't say you need to make sure first that you're elect. He doesn't say you need to make make sure you have certain marks before you can come to him. No, he says, come to me. You must come to him as you are. Don't think he won't receive you because of your sins, because of your failures, whatever they are. He will receive all who come to him every time they come. He himself says to you in his word, him that comes unto me, I will in no ice cast out. So then come to Him. and trust yourself to Him. Follow Him. His love for His own is so great. It's so steadfast. It not only endures so much, but think too of how long, how long it continues. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In the Greek, it's actually very emphatic. It puts those last words at the beginning. To the end. To the end, he loved them. What does that mean? To the end of what? To the end of Jesus' life? Yes, it includes that. But his death was not the end. Was it? He didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead and He ascended into heaven and He now sits in glory at the right hand of His Father. And not only that, but the Bible tells us that He is alive, alive, alive forevermore. And therefore His love for His own is a forever love. It's an everlasting love. It's, it's a love which no waters can quench and no floods can drown. It's a love that continues forever. We sang of that, didn't we, from Psalm 103 before the sermon. Unchanging is the love of God from age to age the same displayed to all who do His will and reverence His name. You see, the Savior's love for His own is so steadfast. It continues forever to the end of our lives here on earth and then beyond, forever afterwards in glory. Oh, what a comforting truth this is. Dear believer, to know that your Savior loves you right now, right here, in this world. You notice that. It doesn't say, it doesn't say he, he loved his own who were in heaven. Of course, that's true. But he loved his own to the end who were in the world. Isn't that so comforting? We're in the world, beloved. And the world, you know, is a sad place. It's a broken place. There are diseases. There are disasters. There is death. And the world, the world is a tempting place. It's constantly calling to us, trying to seduce and entice us. Just click that link. Just take this drug, just buy this one more toy, then then you'll be happy. We are in this world not yet being made perfect. We still have remaining sin and corruption within us that, that, that wants to, to reach out for those temptations. It's a tempting place, it's a it's a hostile place. The the world hated Jesus. It also hates Jesus. Disciples, the world is a dark place. How can, how can we as Christians survive? What will keep us from despair? What will keep us from fear? What will, keep us, what will keep us faithful to our Savior and King, Jesus Christ, in this world? It's this. It's this what we see in our text. The steadfast, everlasting love of the Savior for His own. That's your hope, dear believer. That's your comfort. That's your confidence, your peace, your security, your reliance, your resting place. It's the Savior's love for His own. Thy love to me, O Christ. Thy love to me. Not mine to Thee, I plead. Not mine to Thee. This is my comfort strong. This is my joyful song. Thy love to me. Thy love to me. So steadfast. So selfless. So saving. That's what we see now briefly in our third point. Having loved his own who were in the world. Jesus loved them to the end. The Savior loves his own to the end. And to the end could also be translated here to perfection or, or to the uttermost. And that includes the, the, the idea of that his love is steadfast. But, it, but it's more than that. It's not just a steadfast love. It's a saving love. The Savior's love for his own is a love that saves, you see, from God's judgment for sin. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was suffering and dying to save his people from their sins. And he did, and he did all that was needed. John makes that very clear in in John 19, verses 28 to 30 you have your Bibles open, I invite you to turn there with me. It's just a few pages after our chapter, John 19, verses 28 to 30. Jesus here is on the cross. He's, he's just entrusted his, his mother uh, to the care of his disciple, John. You see his love even there, don't you? And, and then verse 28 says, after this, John 19, verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, That the scripture might be fulfilled, says, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up the ghost. Beloved congregation. That. Is Jesus. Loving his own. To. The. End. Accomplishing all things. Fulfilling the scripture. Finishing. All that was needed. For salvation. Finishing the cup. Of God's just wrath. In the place of His people, of all whom the Father has given Him, who come to Him in repentance and faith. His love for His own is a saving love. It saves them from God's judgment for sin and grants them His righteousness. And and it it cleanses too from sin over and over again. Isn't Isn't it one of the lessons that Jesus teaches when He washes His disciples' feet? Isn't it one of the lessons that that we not only need cleansing from sin over and over again, even daily, but that He, in His love, does offer us daily cleansing from sin? Dear Christian? what an encouragement that should be to us to confess and, and, and bring our sins each day to Him, to that fountain open for sin and uncleanness. It's a saving love, saving us from God's judgment and cleansing us from daily sin. But it also is a love that, that, that transforms His people into the image of His Son. It's a love that sanctifies. Just think about who the Spirit-inspired author of these words was. It's John. John. You think about when John started as one of Jesus' disciples. What was he like? He he was just like the rest of them. He was quite a proud man. Together with his brother, he he had the nickname Son of Thunder. He got upset, along with the others, with someone casting out demons in Jesus' name because he wasn't part of the Twelve. He got mad. He wanted, we read, he wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village that refused to host Jesus. He wanted to be above the other disciples. He wanted to sit beside Jesus in his kingdom. But you know, Jesus' love changed all that. Jesus' love, the Savior's love, gripped John with such force that the way he chose to refer to himself became no longer a son of thunder. The disciple, whom Jesus loved, not not to the exclusion. He's not saying I'm the disciple in Jesus' love. That's not what that designation means. It's a it's a designation of simple simply awe, wonder, astonishment that Jesus loved me. It humbled him, you see, and it changed him. He became known as the apostle of love. As you read his letters, you see that coming through. It's all, all about love. And in First John 4, verse 12, he, he writes these words, If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. You see, beloved, the love of the Savior for his own is a sanctifying, a transforming love. He loves them to the end. He loves them to perfection. And what will that look like? What is the inevitable fruit of the Savior's love for his own? It's this, the believers will love each other. His love, the Savior's love for his own, doesn't leave us where we are. It's a miracle. It changes us. So if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to belong to Jesus here this morning, if we claim to know his love, we need to ask ourselves, are we loving each other? Are we growing in that love for each other? Isn't that what Jesus calls us to later on in our passage, John 13, after he washes the disciples' feet? You call me Master and Lord, he says in verse 13. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words true Christians, beloved, ought to love one another humbly, actively, concretely, tangibly, sacrificially. We ought to care for each other. In fact, if we truly know the Savior's love, though we may see so many shortcomings and so many failures in ourselves, we will love each other. Because that's the fruit of Jesus' love to the end. So the question is, do you? Do you love fellow believers in Jesus Christ? That's the question. It's not, the question is not, does he or does she or do they? That's not the question. The question is, do you? If you don't, then you are to question whether you really do belong to Jesus. Because His love for His own is a saving love. It's a sanctifying, it's a transforming love. It turns unloving sinners into loving saints. That's how great the Savior's love For his own is. Oh what a love. What a precious love. How wonderful it is to belong to Jesus. Do you? That's the important question. You see, you can belong to a church outwardly, but you at the same time cannot really belong to Jesus. Judas Iscariot, he belonged to the church outwardly. He was one of the twelve, but he did not belong to Jesus. He even experienced, he, he, he experienced the love of Jesus in an outward sense. Jesus ministered to him for three years and he even washed Judas's feet knowing that Judas would betray him. But Judas turned away, unmoved, Uncaring, uninterested. He chose to ally himself with Satan, and he died in despair under the judgment of God. Don't let that be you. Don't follow Judas's example, but come come to the Savior. He will receive you. He his love is so great, it's so selfless, it's so steadfast, it's so Saving. Dear fellow believers, this is the love of your Savior for you. It's a love that no one and nothing can separate you from. Then let us love him to the end by the power of his Spirit. Amen. Lord, we have thought upon your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. As your name is, so let your praise be to the ends of the earth. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Lord, who can can describe the love of Jesus. It's a love that passes knowledge. We have attempted to stammer a few words about it as we meditated on your text. But only you, O God, can apply these words with the power to change us, to save us, save those who are yet outside of Jesus Christ. Draw them, O Lord, we pray, with the cords of your love, of everlasting love. Melt hearts through this text, this portion of your word. Melt all of our hearts so that we cannot but love you more and more, more than we did yesterday less than we will tomorrow. God, grant that we may grow more and more in love to you and to each other. For we ask it in the name of the Savior whose love is so great for his own. Amen.